0: section two of open the door this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by k hand open the door by catherine carswell book one chapter one part two four julie had wakened and was rummaging in her stuffed handbag for Sholto's letter To find it, she had to turn everything out upon the seat beside her. There were various purses and pocket-books, part of her complicated system of account, also several handkerchiefs, a good pair of gloves to put on when she reached Edinburgh, some tracts, pink and yellow, and the paper bag in which the breakfast roll had been, now folded and neatly encircled by an elastic band. Linnet pounced on a piece of toffee he had given to his mother a week ago. But he and his brother at once stopped fighting for the sweet, when at length Julie began to read aloud from the sheets of crackling paper written over in the father's fine, flourishing handwriting. "'The blessed work goes on famously here, thank God,' he wrote. And his wife raised eyes shining with solemn hilarity, eyes none of the children cared to meet. Pray, Julie, that our little ones may all become workers in his vineyard, bannermen and bannerwomen of that better country to the end.' I have had a troublesome cold this last week, but hope to shake it off in a day or two, DV. We are having severe weather, and although in other respects superior to ours in Glasgow, the YMCA hall here has a very drafty platform. Tell Georgie Porgie that father wears the woolen comforter she knitted for him and has found it a comforter indeed, but it would hardly do to appear in it while addressing a meeting of two thousand souls, now would it? Kiss her and Joanna and the boys for me, and tell them Father expects them to look after you in his absence, particularly as to getting you to your bed in decent time." "'Aha! Do you hear that, Mother?' interrupted Georgie, but her mother lifted a forefinger for silence. "'Remember,' she continued reading, "'that the body, ordained as the earthly temple in which the soul dwells during our brief sojourn here, needs reasonable rest and care until that joyful day of our release.' To die in harness has always been my prayer, but we have been given certain rules of health on the most sacred authority, as also the common sense enabling us to observe them. May God guide you, my dear wife, in all wisdom, and give you ever more deeply that peace which passeth all understanding. Your affectionate husband, John Schulte Bannerman Before she was quite finished, Julie's voice broke, and she wiped her eyes with simple ostentation. "'Thank God, children, for such a father as you have!' she exclaimed. Then, finding that Sholto had added a postscript to his letter, "'Since writing this,' she read out, "'my cold has become worse and seems now to be on my chest. "'Not chest of drawers, tell Linnet, "'But Mrs. Ross here is a kind body and a great poulticer, "'so I expect D. V. to throw it off shortly.'" "'If Father died, would we have a cablegram by the line laid by the Great Eastern?' asked Linnet with unusual animation. Linnet, how can you?' cried Georgie. Whereupon Linnet subsided. But his imagination had been captured by the idea of the cable, and he had been thinking of it while his mother was reading. Two months ago they had all gone to Liverpool to see their father off, and the children had been taken over the Great Eastern, which lay there as a show-ship before being broken up. Linnet had been impressed by the story of how the cable had been laid under the sea, and now he half hoped that his father would die, so that he should be able to see with his own eyes what a cablegram looked like. He wondered if it got much nibbled by fishes on its way. It was, after all, a united little party that was driven an hour later to Aunt Georgina's imposing front door in Morway Place, the more so because certain humiliation awaited them there unpunctuality was a weakness with which Mrs. Balmain had no sympathy. And from their cousin Mabel, who alone had met them at the station, they knew that their telegram had not arrived in time to prevent inconvenience. Mabel with Irene, Aunt Georgina's only daughter, had already started in the carriage to meet the missed express, whereat Irene had been greatly annoyed. She and the carriage were now paying calls so that the Bannermans must be content with a common cab. Mabel, who was a bannerman, not a Balmain, and was not an intimate of the Moray Place household, was sympathetic as always in a misfortune. But neither Georgie nor Joanna failed to notice the sly grin which their orphaned cousin could never wholly restrain when the family from Glasgow got into trouble with their Edinburgh relations. 5. To the bannermans from Glasgow the worldly grandeur of their father's eldest sister did not make for comfort. They would far rather have stayed, as Mabel did, with the gentler spinster Aunt Ellen, in her rambling house at Collinton, that had been worn shabby by generations of the family. True, even at Aunt Ellen's there was nothing like the freedom of Colisee Street, but at least one did not suffer from constant strain and terror. Mabel was double-faced, but she put on no airs like Cousin Irene, whose recent engagement to a rising young member of Parliament had caused a stir in Edinburgh society. Mabel was only too glad to be invited to Dun in the holidays and to wear Georgie's outgrown muslins. Though her mother had been a bannerman, her father had come of less desirable stock. But Aunt Georgina's husband was Lord Westermuir, a judge of the court of session, and her prune-colored silk gown that rustled, her long gold earrings that dangled, and the profusion of old lace which was displayed on her handsome bosom, all proclaimed that in her the high-water mark of the bannerman house had been reached. The same ineffable standard was set by Aunt Georgina's luncheon table, at which on the following day the Glasgow bannermans took their places. At Moray Place every meal was a ceremony, but luncheon, with its decked sideboard, its gloss of perfect damask, its array of polished crystal and crested silver, and its Ormolu-handled fruit dishes of apple green and gold, was for the children the supremely disconcerting event of the day. Joanna had always connected its restrained lavishness with a verse of scripture often quoted by her mother, bidding us to seek first the kingdom of God. It was the all these things of the latter part of the text, which were to be added unto the obedient seeker, that seemed embodied to the carnal eye in Aunt Georgina's table at precisely one o'clock each day. And it was a puzzle to the child, considering her mother's fine enthusiasm for God's Kingdom, that the Colessi Street appointments should remain so lacking in elegance. That morning, Julie had taken the four children and Mabel to the opening of the Free Church Assembly. For her it was the treat of the year, and she was so genuinely aglow with it that the children had to share in her elation. Besides, the big ministerial gathering on the mound was an impressive sight, especially to those who had a traditional part in it. And had not both their grandfathers come out at the disruption of 1843? Had not Grandpapa Bannerman been so famous that wherever they visited they saw his engraved portrait hanging in the people's entrance halls? So the young people had been thrilled as they took their seats in the large square building, and they had loved standing up when the compact body of black-coated men ringed about by their women, folk, and children, rose to receive the venerable moderator. But the climax was reached when the assembly, without the accompaniment of any instrument, had lifted up its voice in the old hundredth. Then Julie, as she sang loudly, had wept with unconcealed joy, and Georgie and Joanna might also have yielded to the surge of emotion had it not been for the smirking scrutiny of Mabel. When Julie shed tears because of God's amazing goodness, her face became enraptured. Yet, at the same time, one knew that she rejoiced in her capacity for rapture. The emotion was valid, but she hoped it would not go unremarked, and in the way she looked about her with wet eyes, there was a hint of reproach for the apathetic world in which her ecstasy found itself singular. To her daughters, the perception of all this was bad enough in public places. When it was shared by Mabel, it was torture. Mabel, so pretty, dark, and sidelong. When she walked she actually seemed to advance sideways would look lingeringly at her aunt's face then dropping her eyelids she would smile to herself soon she would send a liquid glance either way to georgie and joanna to make sure that they had observed her amusement she would know at once by their stony expressions that the shaft of ridicule had gone home and now aunt georgina had helped them all to soup from a silver tureen georgie was sipping hers in what she knew to be the correct way "'from the side of the spoon instead of from the tip, as she did at home. "'And Joanna had nervously raised a glass of water to her lips "'when she caught her aunt's eye upon her. "'We don't usually drink water before our soup, Joanna,' said Mrs. Balmain quietly. "'At least,' she added, "'I don't know how you do it in Glasgow. "'In Edinburgh it is thought vulgar to drink immediately before food. "'Besides, it is bad for the stomach.' Joanna crimsoned and put down her glass untouched. Neither her mother's kind, grieved glance nor the message of sympathy sent across the table from Georgie's eyes could solve her wound. Though a murderous hatred of her aunt rose in her, she unhesitatingly condemned herself. She had not known any better than to drink water before food, and now she sat disgraced before them all, particularly before Cousin Irene, for whom that very morning at breakfast she had conceived a violent admiration. Oh, why were she and her family not in keeping with the elegance around them why were they not cool and at ease at the luncheon table as cousin irene was joanna and georgie had long ago agreed that cousin irene was a softy and a snob but at this moment joanna with her craving for exquisiteness was passionately envious of irene's endowments she felt ashamed not only of herself but of the others she looked across at her mother who was encouraging sholto to finish his soup by blowing upon each spoonful at Linnet, who lounged back in his chair. At Georgie, who was being so careful with her tablespoon. And there was Mabel, smiling hatefully with her eyes on her plate. Joanna reminded herself desperately that the Erskines, on one side at least, were of a far more distinguished history than either the Bannermans or the Balmain's. But this consideration only added the sting of unfairness to her present sense of inferiority. And she suffered. 6 three days later came the news of their father's death from pneumonia they were all five sitting in Aunt Georgina's little morning room the only room in the house where the children felt at ease the boys were on the floor making a paper fire balloon and Joanna with the book of directions open in front of her was at a table cutting out and gluing together the more delicate parts for her brothers they were very happy and busy amid a litter of tissue paper but Georgie sitting by the window would insist on discussing the verbal inspiration of the Bible "'A subject mentioned that morning in the assembly. "'And Julie had laid down her Asia's millions, "'the better to refute her daughter's argument. "'It says in Genesis, mother, "'that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman, "'now doesn't it?' demanded Georgie. "'Yes, dear,' Julie admitted, "'but doubtfully suspecting a trap. "'Yet,' pursued the girl with increasing truculence, "'when Cain was sent to wander about after killing Abel, "'he got married and had children. Now, who could marry him if he only had brothers and sisters? There couldn't have been cousins. Besides, put in Joanna as she neatly blew out a section of the balloon on which the glue had dried, it says that God told people not to kill Cain. What people can these have been? You must admit it looks a bit fishy, Mother, wound up Georgie. Georgie! Her mother reprimanded her here on sure ground. I cannot have such words used of God's holy word. Oh, well— anyhow you can't get over the contradiction can you but that's only one of heaps now what I say is but no one was ever to hear this important saying of Georgie's for at that moment aunt Georgina entered the room tight in her hand she carried a slip of greenish paper and though her grip on herself was equally firm even little Sholto knew instantly that she was the bearer of grave tidings At her low voiced startlingly kind bidding The children trooped out by the door she had left open. But before it had shut, behind them, they caught the magic word—Cable—and were terrified by the even more unusual expression on their aunt's lips—'My poor sister!' Instinctively, the four moved to the end of the passage and huddled close together there, like sheep before the storm breaks. Not a sound came from the little morning room. Linnet durst not ask his sisters the questions about the cable that trembled on his lips. It was thus that their aunt found them, when she came out again, softly closing the door after her, as if upon a sick-room. On her proud face was a look none of them knew—a look of stricken passion that altered her and frightened them. sholto had been among the few beings his sister had ever loved, and when they were boy and girl together she had been madly proud of him. She laid her hand now on her young namesake's shoulder. "'My poor children,' she said. You will have to be very brave, for your mother's sake." Georgie was the only one to speak. The other seemed petrified. "'It's not anything wrong with Father?' she questioned, and on a rising key at her aunt's low reply she cried out, "'No, no! I won't have it! I can't bear it! I tell you it isn't true! Father! Father! Let me go! Don't touch me!' There was horror for Joanna in the noise Georgie was making. Georgie's voice sounded all over the house while Aunt Georgina was so quiet, and how quiet it was in there where Mother was. With a quick movement the child broke from the others to run to her mother, but Aunt Georgina caught her by the arm, still gripping Georgie also. "'Control yourself, Georgie, and think of your mother,' she commanded with grievous severity, and her fingers felt like iron on the young flesh. "'Remember, you are the eldest. Think of how your father would wish you to behave.' "'I'll try, I'll try,' sobbed Georgie don't speak to me and presently their aunt left them telling them they might go to their mother in the morning room they found julie strangely uplifted and when each had clung to her in turn she addressed them starry-eyed and lyrical my beloved children she said quietly it has pleased our heavenly father to lay his hand upon us all and try our faith whether it be faith indeed he has taken your earthly father to himself we can only pray for strength and look for our refuge in Him." for he is our refuge and our strength in time of trouble. Let us pray to him now, together, that I, my darlings, may be given the strength to be to you, father and mother both, until it pleases him in his great mercy to take me also to himself. Let us pray to the father of the fatherless. Upon this the tears gushed from her eyes, and she would have knelt down with them at the sofa. But Georgie refused. I won't pray to your God she cried out at the pitch of her voice if it pleases him for father to die like this away from us all I don't love him. I hate your God. My God is quite different I'll go and pray to my God. He'll know that you can't ever make up to me for father Oh, I can't bear it and she rushed from the room Poor Georgie said Julie God the maker of our hearts speaks to us all in different ways and with the remaining children She poured herself forth in prayer When at length she had left the boys in Joanna's charge, none of them spoke for a few moments. Then, in the gaping chasm of silence, Linnet moved diffidently to where his interrupted work still lay on the carpet, and he picked up a streamer of blue paper. "'I suppose we may as well finish making our fire-balloon, Sholto,' he remarked. Now the tears sprung to Joanna's eyes and rolled down her cheeks. It was not that she felt any real personal loss— but something in her little brother's aspect made her see them suddenly as fatherless. Oh, Linnet! She exclaimed, striving for a degree of realization. Think, we'll never hear father blow his nose again like a trumpet in the lobby when he comes home at night. And he'll never be lord provost now either. Appended Sholto morosely, with the two lamp posts in front of our door. Linnet nodded, seeing the tragedy in this and in deference to it, he kept to himself his bitter disappointment about the look of the cable. 7. But it was Georgie who was wakened in the small hours of the morning, and taken to her mother's bedside to play the daughter's part there. They had had to send for the doctor at midnight. Aunt Georgina had not been able to lie down nor even take off her dress. She was grim with weariness and sorrow. Henceforth, Georgie wore a look of satisfied importance, as of one who has been momentously confided in. But it was some days before Joanna could get her to share the secret. "'You must promise faithfully not to tell Mabel,' Georgie stipulated, giving way at last. Joanna promised faithfully. "'Well, then,' said Georgie, lowering her voice to a searching whisper, "'we were going to have had a baby, but now it's not coming because of father.' And that is why mother is ill, in bed, and seeing the doctor. She only said it was a disappointment. It was Aunt Georgina told me the rest. She said at fifteen I was old enough to know. All the same, remember, you have promised not to tell Mabel. Joanna, gratifyingly awestruck, gazed at her sister. The collective we in Georgie's mouth impressed her strongly. Had she sought in her mind there were a thousand questions to be asked? But at twelve one is still used to accepting mysteries without challenge. And so this strange new loss, which was in some indiscoverable way connected with her father's death in America, was stored in the dark lumber room of the child's mind. End of section 2